to the house of the Lord today. I just wanted to say, how many people are here for God? How many people are here because the convention is challenging you to experience something new in God? And what was coming to my heart as we were worshiping, I was just thinking, everything that's happened before today doesn't matter, irrespective of where you think you are in God or what you've wanted from God or whatever you've seen from yourself in your walk. But the theme of this convention is, I am devoted. And that means that God's place that upon our hearts so that we can check our devotion to God. It's not a place to feel guilty. It's not a place to feel held back. It's not a place to feel distracted by the person next to you. But I just want to really challenge us all to just open our hearts and really know that God's grace and his unction to increase our devotion and to change our heart, to give us a willing mind is in this place today. So I just want us to put our hands together as we welcome Brother Madder to give us a brief 15 minute piece of his heart. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'll just um, say a short prayer before starting. In Jesus' name. Eternal and invincible God, only wise, most blessed, most glorious, eternally hid from our eyes. We come before you with thanksgiving, with joy, with gladness for the opportunity to be in your presence once again. To know you even deeper, your truth. To be able to delve into your understanding and be able, O oh God, to relate with you even closer. We pray that the revelation of your truth be made known unto us, that our hearts be attentive, O Lord, to your voice, that as you speak to us, we shall receive you, O God, that we who are your own, O God, will accept you into our hearts even deeper, that you take a stronger foundation within our lives, even that the elements, O God, for around us shall conform to your will, so that the purpose of your written plan shall be made manifest upon us and upon those around us. May we see the way you see, think the way you think, and act the way you act. Lord Jesus, help us to enjoy, even as we feed on the food that is your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Please have your seats. Today we've been speaking on wholehearted devotion. I am devoted, and that's what we will... I will continue on. Um, it is, the, the sessions have been fantastic and phenomenal. Even in speaking in them, I've been learning so many new things about God, just his favor and just how he has given us an understanding of what it means to go out for him, what it means to win souls for him, what it means to evangelize for him. And I pray that what I'd share now, what God has laid on my heart to share is a uh, blessing to you and a blessing to me as well. Um, what I would speak, and I'll start from the book of John chapter 4. And the title will be, your, the title is, instead of will be, title is, your devotion will be challenged. John chapter 4 from verse 1 to 4. It's, this verse is just to give us an understanding of who Jesus himself is as a person. It says, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Carry on. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Carry on. 
When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And the fourth verse, now he had to go through Samaria. If we go to verse 1, verse 1 tells us, shows us a few things. Jesus was aware about his situation. He was aware about his work as well as what was going on around him. So he knew what the Pharisees were thinking. He knew that they had learned or understood something that was going on in his ministry. So it tells us that Christ was, as I also said yesterday, the Bible said that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, were excellent in all forms of literature and learning. They understood the times. They understood the seasons. They understood what was going on around them. And it's clear from this that Jesus was aware that the ministry and what he was doing was known to the Pharisees. Also, you see that he was baptizing disciples. But the Bible says it wasn't just him. It was his disciples. Now, being a disciple of Christ is taken forth from what we see Jesus do and doing it. At this point, everyone that followed Christ baptized people. And the Bible says that when a person comes into Christ, a new creation, we are baptized by water and baptized by the Spirit. And if you go on to verse 3, Jesus then made a decision. Out of the knowledge that he had, he went back He decided that he was going to go back into Galilee. Galilee was where he did his first miracle. So he had just left Galilee. He came down to Judea. And now he decided he's going to return to Galilee. Obviously, we know that Jesus said, I do not do anything except what I see my father do. So this is a decision that God had directed him to do. And the last point when you go into verse 4, which is interesting, he says, Now he had to go through Samaria. Sometimes you will have to go through a route that will bring a test in your life. Because you're following God, just the route and the option that you have to take. When the Israelites left Egypt, they didn't go through the easiest part. God took them through the hardest route and they had to go through the, for them to reach destiny. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. If we go down from, go down, I'll just read a few scriptures. Go to verse 5. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Continue. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he was man, as well as God, but yes, he was man. Sat down by the well, it was about the sixth hour. Now, Jesus was tired. And if you continue through this journey, you realize he was left by himself. His disciples had gone off to get food. And Jesus was by himself at the well. He had no means to draw water. And one person came to draw water. And that was the Samaritan woman. When you... So, if we could please go to verse... Let's go to verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water, that's the water in the well, will be thirsty again. Verse 14. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give, 
I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. The apostle spoke to us and told us that water is the spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in everyone who accepts Christ and in that would remain with you for eternity. That when, we, when this flesh dies, our spirit goes unto God. Now if you go to verse 15. The woman then said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she, at first she was in the position of, a, of having the advantage. Then she realized there was more that Jesus can give her. And she then became a friend of Jesus or started to beseech Jesus to give this to her. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Before I go to the next verse, it was the time that Reverend Oma was preaching and she spoke about this. And sometimes it's difficult for you to see it. You may not notice it. So he said, go call, go call your husband and come back. And verse 17, he says, oh, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. But the fact is, Reverend Oma said, sometimes you may not notice it. Imagine Jesus wasn't well informed. Or Jesus wasn't aware spiritually of what was going on. At that point, she said, and go back to the previous verse, please. To verse 17. He said, I have no husband. That could be a very interesting conversation that follows that. If Jesus doesn't say what he was going, if Jesus doesn't say what God had already told him. It could be an attraction. It could be a lure. It could be the bait on the hook. To get Jesus into a deeper conversation. That so I have no husband. Knowing that she wants from him now this eternal life or this eternal water. Which she doesn't fully understand. But will give her something that she, means she never has to come back to the well again. But if it, was, if it was anyone else who is not fully aware. Now this woman, as you know. To some degree you have to accept that she knows. She would know what to say. Because you're going to find that she has had five husbands. So, not one, not two, three, four, but five husbands. And she was with another person who wasn't her husband. If Jesus was weak-willed, if Jesus wasn't strong, this road that he had to go through, the Bible says now he had to go through Samaria, there would be an issue. There could be something that could, this could have been a point where Jesus, is, Jesus could, if Jesus wasn't strong, could have been flawed. And his ministry cut short or the devil use our means to destroy it. And there are times that we will have to go through position. There are times that we have to be in, in places where the tests will come or the trials will come. And it's interesting how the Bible describes it. If you go to James chapter 1 verse 14 to 15. It says, but each one is tempted when he is, when his own evil is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Now, if Jesus was weak and he had an evil desire in him, that conversation of, oh, I have no husband, no allegiance, I'm speaking to no one, that could have led to a completely different story. But Jesus was in the spirit continually and he said, you are right. Then he corrects them, but you have had five. And you are with somebody, which you are not making clear to me right now, but I already know. And he is not your husband. And that's the spirit. And that's the level of operation we need to be in. Because there will come times 
when the challenge is going to be right in your face. You are doing God's work. And sometimes that work is going to take you to a place that the devil is going to seek for an opportunity to bring you down. And should you not be right in the spirit, he will try to get your soul. If you... If we go to verse 15 of this scripture, of James chapter 1, it says, Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. I want now to go through something I was thinking about recently, which is, how did Jesus handle temptation? Because... We just learned about temptation. Every human being is going to get tempted. We will be tempted. We will be tried. We will be challenged. If we go to Matthew chapter 4 from verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So now, this is God's Spirit guiding Jesus. Into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by the devil to be tempted now when Jesus walked in obviously he was fresh so day one devil didn't show up day two the devil didn't show up day three the devil didn't show up day four day ten day twenty day thirty no food no water thirsty and hungry day thirty five he didn't show up day thirty nine he went for forty days and forty nights Let's go to the second verse. Just a second. I just want to have it in front of me. So verse 2. After fasting... 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's when the tempter showed up. He waits for you at your weakest. At the least. When your strength is at, is at its lowest. That's when he shows up. And the Bible says in verse 3, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Now, why would you tell a hungry man to put stone, to turn stones into bread and just have him lying around him when you know he's meant to be fasting but he's challenging something? He knows the two things. Jesus knows he's the Son of God. If Jesus says he wants to show you he's the Son of God, he would show you. And he's playing with that. But also, what is his aim? He knows Jesus is fasting, but he's putting a condition to allow pride to make Jesus do something that will put Jesus in a worse position. So if Jesus turns the stones to bread, he's left there hungry with bread around him. And he's meant to be fasting. You, you, what is he going to do? Well, just stare at the, at the bread? The Bible says that each one, we are led away by our own evil desires. That's why we have to be wise. The Bible says that we have to flee the evil desires. We, and for a man, what is the lust physically when you're hungry? You want food. You want water. 
Now, Jesus knew this, I am physically parched. If I have bread around me, that's me. I will just be set up for ruining. And I'm meant to carry now a level of power that the world has never seen into the world to create a dynasty that has never begun. Just a sneaky little imagination. That's what the devil brought. So he tried Jesus on the food angle. He tried Jesus on the pride to say, okay, now, so if you're the son of God, show me. I've come right now. We're now man to man. Let me just see. That's all you need to do. Let's see Jesus' response to this. Jesus answered, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This wasn't the only time Jesus said this. He said it to his disciples. When, I, in, when you go on to... So this happened before John chapter 4. When you go on to John chapter 4, when they were saying, Eat something, Master. Eat him. He said, I have food that you do not know. He said, My food is to do the Father's will and to finish his work. Jesus said unto the devil, It is written... Man does not live by bread alone. I may not have eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, but my sustenance does not come from bread. My sustenance comes from the word of the one on high. Let's go to the second. So the devil tried this and it didn't work. Go to verse 6. Verse 5, sorry. Verse 5. It says, Then the devil... You know, he, thought, he thought about it and he said, he took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. The devil will bring the temptation right to your face. Whether bring you to the face of the temptation, temptation to your face, somewhere you'll be face to face with the temptation. And he said, if you are the son of God, we all know the answer to that is yes, it's true. If you are the son of God, he's creating a condition for Jesus. He said, throw yourself down. For it is written. Now the devil is using scripture against Jesus. He didn't start with scripture. He never started with scripture. He started with, 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 with Jesus' hunger. With what was in him. Then now he's twisting the scripture. And then he said, it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift, up, they will lift you up in their hands. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He knows that this man uses scripture, so let me use scripture now to bring him down. And if Jesus wanted to show, Jesus had command over angels. Jesus could have jumped up. And Jesus said, it is also written. If you don't know enough of the word, a completeness of the word, the devil will challenge your standing. And he said, it is also written... Do not put the Lord your God to test. In the two times that the devil has tempted Christ. Now, Jesus, at this time, Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. He wanted food. The, you, when you've not eaten for days, you know how you feel. But God was sustaining him. And he knew why his, where his sustenance came from. And the devil's challenging him one way. The devil's challenging him another way. But the word is ever present in his lips. And his only response is the word. 
He's not trying to bargain or explain. He just said, it is written. It's this and full stop. And the third time, so the devil didn't give up. Sometimes the, God, the Bible says God led him into the wilderness to be tempted. He was led by the Spirit of the Lord to be tempted. And, Jesus, and verse 8 says, Again, the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now Jesus knew. He was born in Todia to save the world. So Jesus came for the world. Now what the devil is trying to do is, quick fix. You get the world, bow down, worship me. All the stuff you're trying to do, that dying on the cross, the whole of that, forget it. You just come in, I'll give you this, it's all yours. The devil tried to sell him a carbon copy. It's worse than a carbon copy, it's just, it doesn't even exist. Because it wasn't the devil's in the first place. The devil drew him and, and tried to put him in a position. You fasted. You've done this suffering. Why continue? Why do this? Why suffer even longer? You can just own it all. All you need to do is bow down and worship me. That's all. <laughs> but Jesus was wiser. And he's always wiser. He is the wisdom of God. And the Bible says, Jesus said unto him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. I spoke with a brother a few days ago and I said to him, the Bible talks about temptation. No one has been tempted more than what God has given unto us. And when says here the devil left him and angels attended to him, I said to him, at the end of the day, the thing is, you have to win. You must win. It is a win. The only option is to win. Your devotion will be tested. It will be tested. The devil will send anything and everything your way. And sometimes you will be in a position where the work of God that you're trying to do is where the devil will send the test. And it's where you will find the test that you've not found elsewhere. If you read the book of John chapter 4, the Bible says that when the disciples came, they were surprised Jesus was talking to a woman. They wanted to ask him, like, what are you, what are you doing? Because you, what's going on exactly? They didn't speak. They didn't ask him a question, but they were surprised. But who? There was only one person. It's not that there was any. There was no one else, but just one woman, and that's the person. That could have been a temptation, which wasn't because there was no design Jesus for that. Is what saved the whole city. The very temptation that the devil is trying to use to cripple you is the same thing that is the answer to the, your destiny. You have to. We need the wisdom of God and we need to be close enough with God in order to be at that position. That the word of God saturates us so that our response to the devil in every situation is, it is written. I pray that the Lord continue to bless us and uphold us.
and increases in him. I pray that he grant us his wisdom such that we can operate like Jesus did. Respond to all situations and all things around us with the word. Be able to see through his eyes. Lord, I pray that you sustain each and every person here in your will so that we can attain, O Lord, that glory that you have set for us. May we, O God, only hunger for you. May your will and your word be our food, even unto completing your work, O Lord. Fill us anew, O Jesus, even in this convention, O God. Show yourself strong in us. Let our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our souls, spirits, let everything that is us, O God, be reconnected to you, O God. May we, O God, reconsecrate ourselves and present ourselves into your bosom, O Father, that you will do with us as you will. Prepare us in every way, O God, for your work, O God, so that this world would see that which you have sought and that which you have that which it has waited for, all creation. Lord God, guide our footsteps, O Father, in all that we do. May we hearken to the voice of your servant, O God, Father. May we be devoted to the apostles' teaching, even unto prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, Father, may we hear you. May we follow your direction. May we see the devil. May we be, may we be able to discern, O God, the works around us. So, Lord, that we do not fall, fall prey, O God, Lord, to the cunning or, or approach of the, of the devil, Lord, that your wisdom will guide our footsteps, Lord. May your mercy be with us, O God. Thank you for your grace that is eternal, and we pray that your word, O God, ever grow in us, O God, Father, and may your spirit even continue to flow out of us as rivers of life, even unto eternal life. Blessed be thy name, O Holy One. May your presence remain in this tabernacle. In Jesus' name we pray. We can give God a great round of applause for the great words. I think we can see where God's taken us from yesterday's message to today's message, from glory to glory. Um, I won't take too much time. We're going to move on to the youth panel. Uh, I'm just going to call the following people to take their seats, please. If I can have Brother Dean, Sister Remy, Brother Amadou, and Sister Chisholm, please. Just come up. Just come up. Don't be scared. If I can have Sister Tolu Amadou, please, also. Where's Brother Dean? Ah, we keep clapping until Brother Dean comes up. Give him some support. And then lastly, I'd like to invite our Father in the Lord, Apostle A.T.B. Williams.
Can we have one more mic or two, please? Give us two more mics. One here and one on this section, please. So the first question, um, 1 Samuel 18 verse 10 says that an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was king at the time. But on June the 2nd, victory night, apostles said that demons cannot come from God. So how was it possible for an evil spirit to come from God? I think the person didn't understand what I said. Because God created all things. He created all angels. And among the angels from the book of uh, Isaiah 14 from verse 11, it gives you the reports of how Satan fell. Really from verse uh, 14. And Ezekiel 28, also 12, tells you how Satan fell. Revelations chapter 7 explained further on from verse 7 to uh, verse 12 how this too loud, please. How uh, the demons in heaven, the angels that supported the devil, became the fallen angel. So God is in control of everything he created. And when the Bible said in that Samuel that God, the Spirit of God departed from Samuel, uh, from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord, what that says is that God commanded the evil spirit to take over Saul. It's not that the evil spirit dwells with God, no. The meaning of that statement is God commanded an evil spirit to, you know, afflict Saul because Saul had fallen. So that is the explanation of that scripture. Okay, demons don't live with God. If you look at Job chapter 1 verse 7, it also reports that, because that's another question you could be faced with, that uh, when the children of God, when the sons of God were gathered, Satan also was. Uh, in Job 1.7. Now, that does not mean that Satan goes to heaven. He doesn't. But God's eyes is all over the whole world. So when God called the assembly of, of you know, his angels, he saw the devil also waiting to hear. And that was where God asked the devil that, have you considered my servant Job? But all those things also were arranged by God himself. Because you heard from the teachings of Mada that God allows temptation to test and to prove believers. And that is one of the scriptures that people can also ask you that why would sons of God be gathered and say that the devil also you know, showed up. God created the devil. He created all demons. He created all angels who have their standing. And he controls all of them. Thank you. Um, number two, how do I confront sin, particularly sexual immorality, that I have seen in some of my fellow youth? Okay, how do I confront sin, particularly sexual immorality, that I have seen in some of my fellow youth? Um, with regards to that question, if you remember the story of Joseph and when he was in uh, Potiphar's house and the wife, Potiphar's wife came to him and wanted him to sleep with him. 
He didn't pray or speak in tongues. He fled. And in the scripture, you scripture, what's our you scripture? Second Timothy 2.22 says, flee the youthful lust and temptation. Sometimes you have to be away from bad company. If you have those kind of friends who are sexually active or doing things, then they're not the kind of friends you need to be with, for number one. Um, and that would make it easier for you not to be tempted. And sometimes when you're in a place full of temptation, you just need to flee. Also, our mommy said you need to report those friends as well. Um, just to add, um, I think the question was um, as if a friend, a friend knows that another friend, another brother or sister um, is committing sin. How do you address that? I think I'll say also just um, almost sometimes we try to be like fancy ministers ourselves. Just say the word. And the Bible says that only the Holy Spirit convicts. So don't try to kind of you know, use your best kind of grammar or English. Just say how it is and leave the Holy Spirit to convict in that way and, of course, report and other things like that. Let me just read two scriptures exactly as Sister Remy said. How do you run, how do you deal with a car running towards you to crash you. You run, isn't it? Especially when you know that the car is coming this direction and just opposite you. What do you do? You take on your heels. So the Bible says in the book of First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. And that is the remedy. You must know this. Sexual immorality will destroy the temple of God. And God says, if you destroy my temple, I will destroy you in the last days. That 18th verse of chapter 6 says, all sins, all other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Verse 19 says, do you not know that your body is a temple? of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. So a believer must know that your body is the most precious to you. God gave it to you. God dwells in it. And you cannot take the temple of God to gratify iniquity. Two major things God said, flee from sexual morality. He also says, flee from idol worshipping. So, this, the idol worshipping and sexual morality, they carry the same gravity. And moreover, they open you up for demons to uh, oppress you. Very, very. There are seven punishments that a man will receive from sexual morality. When we do marriage seminar, I think I always talk about it in marriage seminar. And you find that in the book of Proverbs chapter 6, 7. So, uh, 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 morality, you run from it. You know, Brother Mother said that Satan will tempt you at your weak point. Isn't it? So, the word of God in you is what you use to fight temptations 
including sexual morality, and the word of God Joseph used was, he said, for me to do this and sin against the Lord. And he took on his heels. Also, in fleeing from it, avoid relationship that can lure you into such. Avoid friends who can deceive you into sexual morality. It's part of the exercise of fleeing. That is to say that if you know that this person's relationship will always give you, take you to that. Don't call him. I told you on Sunday, if anybody calls you who will take you to sin, tell him, I don't want you to call me anymore because you always destroy, your, your call is destroying me. So that you make it plain to the person. And that person, you cut off from them completely. And that is the way to deal with it. But you know, the other side is that, um, I think on this, if anybody rapes you, phone the police, whoever the person may be. I'm not talking as a lawyer. If anybody rapes you, phone the police, whatever, first, report it to the police instantly and make sure that person is booked. Do not think you will, uh, you, you, you want to spare a person from punishment. No. If, so, if anybody rapes you, report that person to the police. Then before, you know, of course, you have, you have to tell your, mom, your parents and then make sure you report to the police. I hope so that no one takes advantage of you, especially those of you who are young girls. And of course, now young boys too. Can a man still reach his destiny if he has made a bad decision in life? Can a man still reach his destiny? Reach his destiny? A bad decision in life. Yes, yes, okay. Um, I just want to mention about um, Bathsheba. Um, the fact that she, I think if, if we can all, if we can all, can you reduce your feather by two counts? Your master feather, please. The main output. And you're getting feedback from this, your stage monitors. Reduce the feather now as I'm talking until I say stop. Keep on taking it down, keep on taking it down. Down, down, down. That's all right. Speak now. Um, if we can all recall. Okay, a little bit up, 0.5. Point five of a count. All right. If we can all recall Bathsheba, who was on the roof bathing, and um, David um, saw her, and even though she was the wife of one of his soldiers, he went and slept with her anyway. And despite this, despite the fact that she cheated on him, that was a bad decision straight straight away. We can bluntly say that that didn't change her destiny. That didn't change what God wanted to use her for. Because if if I'm not incorrect. She was the mother of Solomon. And in the end, Solomon did become king. And he did become the wisest king that ever lived. And I want to say that it doesn't matter that decision that you... If you did make a bad decision, okay, you can accept that. You can... If it was a point where you sin, then you can come to God, repent with a contrite heart. But your circumstances, your current circumstances do not define your future. You have the opportunity to come to God and to say, okay, now I want to work with you. Now I want to do the things that you've called me to do. Your bad decision may have, it may have, it may have set you back exactly. It may have set you back and stopped you from being exactly where you need to be right at that point in time. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't cut you off from God completely. So yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, just wanted to add to that. 
um, in Genesis chapter 16, we see where Sarah, Abraham's wife, told Abraham that he should go into his handmaiden because she was trying to help God to bring the promised child. But we still see that although Abraham made a wrong decision, God still fulfilled his plan. So like um, my sister said, God will always fulfill his plan. But then I remember an apostle's teaching, the Bible also says, whatever a man sows, he shall rip. So that's why we need to be full of the word to make the wise decisions. Because we understood what Ishmael, you know, what, what that problem has brought, the consequence of having Ishmael as well. And also as well, Moses, God commanded him to, I can't remember, so is it to smite the rock? To, to touch the rock, but he, he, through his anger, he smit the rock and there was a repercussion as a result of it. He missed the promised land. So we really need to ask God to fill us so we can make the wise decisions. Um, as soon as the question was read, the um, person that came to mind was Samson. And, you know, we know the story of Samson and Delilah, how, um, you know, th- he was told not to marry women from the Philistines and how he went when he found Delilah and, you know, he said, let me marry her. So Delilah ended up being Samson's downfall and he ended up losing his um, eyes. You know, and the calling upon Samson's life was for him to deliver um, his people from the Philistines. So, you know, at the end of the day, when Samson lost his eyes, he came to the point where he repented and, you know, he said in um, Judges 16, verse 30, I'll just read that quickly. He says, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he was alive. And I think, you know, for me, the way, I, the way I'm looking at that is that sometimes we make bad decisions because we're walking by sight and not by faith. So, you know, God, you know, God is a God that we have to have faith in him. You know, and for us to fulfill our plan, for us to um, fulfill our plan in our lives, according to God's will, we have to walk by faith. So Samson, he was someone who, you know, he allowed his eyes to lead him astray from what God has actually planned for him. So now when he lost his eyes and he went back to God in faith, he said, let me die with the Philistines. So that statement means that he knew these guys were going to die as well. But he said, let me die with them. And then God gave him strength and he ended up killing more at that time than when he was alive. All right. Uh, can I just summarize what you heard? What you heard from them, that is it. Every mistake in life has an effect to life. But various mistakes have various magnitude of effect. A mistake is supposed to be something that someone committed unknowingly. And it's different from a sin when a man deliberately commits an act. Now, in the situation whereby we ignorantly made mistakes, which means that it is something you do not know it is wrong, and you saw yourself in it. Like some kids who didn't have privilege of a church like this, and they didn't have any guidance in life, they played off their youth age, 
and young girls by the age of 16 or 18 have gotten about three kids, you will recognize the fact that when they grow up, those uh, mistakes that they have committed will have an effect in their further life. There are mistakes that people commit and their effect is very minimal. But there are mistakes that people commit and their effect is magnanimous, it's very huge. But every disobedience is punishable by God. God is loving and that's the reason why he will punish the disobedience. And all these ex um, examples you have heard of David, he lost the baby and God punished David for, you know, defiling the woman. Uh, Samson, you know, he died at the time he should not be dead because he disobeyed God by marrying a, a, a heathen. And, um, yeah, Abraham, the child that was born by that uh, Hagar, you know, Abraham, when he gave birth to Hagar through the mistake, they are the Arabs today who continue to give Israel problem up to today. So, therefore, if you look at the book of Exodus 34, verse um, 6, it says, And he passed in, this is God, in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sins. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So, we must live a life. If we live a life submitting all we do to the counsel of the word of God, we will seldom make mistakes that could be very devastating to our future. So, it's better for you to study the word, know the word, and live by the word. And what you are taught all the time, you know, by the pulpit and home group studies and stuff, make sure you stick to it. You will have a little regret when you grow up. And that is your description. I think we should leave all our clapping to the end. Yes, so that we behave like BBC. You clap when I do this, you clap. When I do this, you stop. So we clap at the end so that we can just go towards God. Why did, why did, why did God give man a free will if they would choose not to serve him? Check it again. I'll say it again. <laughs> why did God give man a free will if they would choose not to serve him? Um, I think I just sort of took from my mind, but I hope it's correct. Um, I think if what we say of God is true, that he's sort of all loving and he's all just as well, he has to give you that opportunity to make your own decisions and in that give you the ability to whether you choose to serve him or choose not to serve him and the bible says god wants people that worship him in spirit and in truth we can only know that if you have if you have an alternative so then we actually see where your heart is so that's what i kind of glean from that
carrying on, carrying on from what Brother Dean has just said, you know, he's a fair God. And as well as that, you know, he's given us a free will. But at the same time, because I think the question said, you know, when he knows that people are still going to choose to do bad. Is that it? Yeah. Sorry, could you repeat it, please? Because I just want to be precise. And choose not to serve him. So, you know, as well as God has given us a free will, the Bible says in, um, I believe, Deuteronomy, I can't remember where, but it says that, you know, I call heaven and earth, you know, as witnesses that I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So God has given us a free will, but at the same time, he's told us, look, this is what's right. Choose this one so you can now decide to obey. So even though, you know, people will not obey at times but God is fair you know he's given us all free will and at the same time he's given us a good choice as well to go along with that um, as we all know God is a just and fair God he is a God of free will and because it says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 let us make man in our image we have been made in the likeness of God we're able to operate in the same capacity as God does so that means that we also have the option of free will inside us. We, we also have the choice to make, to decide whether we're going to follow God or not follow God. And because of that, well, I think, I think that's basically it. We have free will, just as, God has free, just as God is the God of free will, we have the opportunity to make the right choice. Yes, I'm sure that is clear. Flesh gives back to flesh, spirit gives back to spirit. If an animal produces an animal, it has to be an animal. If God made us in his image, we all have the attributes of God. And part of God's attribute is his free will. Now how we apply that is our own prerogative, our decision. And that is fundamental. But of course, this is to demonstrate God's justice. That God is a good judge. If God did not give us free will, how will he be able to judge us? So, that's the reason why God gave us free will. Yeah. Yeah. When we say God is a God of love, which is God's attributes, we just like him. But then the decision to apply the free will now is our own decision. Um, okay. Um, just because of time, we're just going to restrict the answers to two people, if possible. Okay. Um, as a young professional, sorry, as a young professional, my team often socialise together. About 70% of the time, this falls on a service day. I don't go with the team, but don't want to seem as if I'm not distancing myself because I'm a Christian, as it would be a good time to talk about my faith. How do I handle this situation? Amen. So I just think, um, you know, you just organize your own time with them. So, for example, if you go to church on Wednesdays and they're usually doing things on Wednesdays, um, you know, you're going to come to church, come to church. But then, you know, you can, you can 
as well say, guys, let's um, you know organize something for Thursday or something, and you can go out and you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them as well. So it's down to you to you know take the initiative and figure out something. To if I'm clear with that question, she's not contracted to work on Sunday, is she? She's just saying the work is having a do on Sunday, right? Um, I think it's more like midweek. Mid, like oh, so there's a networking event on Sunday. Yeah, okay. Or every Friday. On a Wednesday or on a Sunday. Or midweek, Wednesday or Friday. If it's if they choose your worship day and it is weekly, you don't go. You must let them know that that day you serve God. If it is something that they do once in a while, that is, that is conditional. It's not something that is a regular practice or else it will take your God from you. Who gives you life to walk? Who gives you favor? Who gives you promotion? And that is what, uh, brother, um, one of the things that Brother Mada, Mada was telling you. Jesus Christ fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now, Satan told Jesus, look everywhere. If you can bow to me, I will give all to you. Alright, that is the, uh, the loss of the eyes. He told Jesus also that, you command his stone to break. Because you are God's son. Just to prove that is pride of life. And the devil does not have any other method than the loss of flesh, the pride of life, and also the um, loss of the eyes. So a believer must take a stand. Let me tell you, if a Muslim is supposed to go to mosque on Friday, let the director general of the company call a meeting, they will ignore it. So a Christian must know that God is supreme to anybody, except if it is your contractual duty. You don't need that kind of network to reach where God is sending you. So, because that is targeted against your faith. So you must make sure you take your, your stand your ground in matters like that. I am an older youth in a relationship and want to know the practical steps in keeping a godly relationship. I'm going to say, attend the Apostles' Marriage Seminar and buy the CD. <laughs> okay, maybe I was harsh in that again. <laughs> you, are, you are just trying to be, you are not harsh yet. You know, I think as a Christian, when you have someone that you know you're going to marry, and you're not married, you're, well, we call it courting, or that's, you have to see that person, they're your friend. So what you do with your friend is what you do with the person. Then when you're married, then you're legally allowed to do whatever. <laughs> Can I just say that she's speaking to you from experience. Sister, Sister Remy, the man that Sister Remy is marrying to came to my office 
and told me the reason why he decided that he will really marry this lady is because when he met her, all the dues that they have been used to, boys and girls, that she took her stand and said, no, it's arm's length. And she told him a condition. If I will marry you, I will wake you up at 12 midnight, we will pray together. The man is in um, Scot Scotland. And she will call the man every 12 a.m. And the man said that this woman will wake me up 12 a.m. I thought she was joking. But she woke me up first. The second day she woke me up. Third day she woke me up. Fourth day she woke me up. And that man also was born in a solid Christian home. But when he came into England, he followed the culture of the, of the people. And when God arrested him, just as God arrested him that he repented, he prayed to God that God give me a wife that will help my Christian faith. And then she showed up. And the man said to me that I have to come and see the pastor who trained me. So what she's telling you is just a hot potato, isn't it? Arms length. And the answer is deal with the person you are in courtship with just like ordinary brother. The last day of your marriage, he can decide he's no more married. The woman can walk away from marriage a day, even on the day of wedding, you can decide that no, I can't go further. It has happened again and again. So if you have opened your nakedness to a person and you have conducted your, your courtship in an ungodly manner, then a person like that, if it happens to you, you break down into depression. Because somebody leaves you and not marry you again, you don't cause depression. If that relationship was conducted in the godly manner. Apart from God, what else is Apostle Williams devoted to? <laughs> Should I give it to Mummy? <laughs> He's devoted to Mummy Omar. Oh, apart from God and, and Mummy. <laughs> Mommy has answered the question. As in what? Speak on uh, yeah, he studies, you know, passing the bar, traveling, crusades, crusades you know. <laughs> As well. Or apparently playing golf. Good one. Uh huh. So he's devoted to uh, just generally helping others, hence the reason why, you know, he particularly went and studied law. So. And the church. Apostle? Do you want to answer? <laughs> okay. What else am I devoted to? I'm devoted to you. And you will follow me to my next jungle crusade. 
Did the children of Adam and Eve intermarry? Um, since they were the only human creations of God, and if they did intermarry, why did God not have an issue with it? Especially considering that he denounces such practices later in Leviticus. At the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, and they start having children, as there is no other creation, human creation on earth, by which they will procreate, God allowed it in his sovereignty. And that period was the period the Bible called the period of conscience. And if you look at the dispensation from Adam to Moses, is a season of conscience. There's a lot of things God permitted during that period. You know, if you look at Abraham, married the niece, uh, the, uh, the cousin, you call them? Yeah. The, you know, because Abraham's wife is the daughter of Abraham's blood brother. But if you look at when the law came by Moses, which is another dispensation, God drew a line. From that time, we know by genetic engineering that when human beings marry themselves now who are from the same family, they could have some genetic issues. So God, from the time God stopped that and we moved into a period of law, then human beings began to have problems if they do that. After the time of Moses, which ended at the coming, you know, Moses' period was ended by John the Baptist. And the period of, of grace started from Jesus Christ to now. So, if you look at the dealings of God with men, in each dispensation, it differs from one to the other. How does a Christian justify what practices in the Old Testament are still relevant? Because the same Leviticus 17, which states that you should not cut the size of your hair, also states, don't plant your field with two different seeds and do not wear clothes woven of the same kind of material. Shall I say it again? Shall I say the question again? Okay. How does a Christian justify what practices... What practices in the Old Testament are still relevant? Because the same Leviticus 19, which states that you should not cut the size of your hair, also states, don't plant your field with two different seeds and do not wear clothes woven of, the, of two kinds of material. Yes. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The reason for, for that is this. There are some laws that God gave. They are social laws. There are some laws that God gave in Lepticus, and they came from occultic practices. There are some laws that God gave in Lepticus that are religious laws. All the sacrifices have been fulfilled in Christ. Alright? But um, if we take, for instance, that um, Lepticus, just before I read to you, what the New Testament says. For you to be able to know what to do when it comes to issues like that. Lepticus chapter 19. 
It begins by saying, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, What is the first thing he said? Be holy. So which means that the essence of all these laws is for a Christian to be holy. Now, when I began to speak about the laws, you will discover that some of those laws that he spoke then had been fulfilled in Christ, like the law of Sabbath, sacrifices. But what about this? Do not steal. Should a Christian still steal? That is verse 11. So we know that it's applicable. Do not lie. Should a Christian lie? All right. Do not deceive one another. Verse 12. Do not swear falsely by my name. It says you profane the name of the Lord. Verse 13. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Should we obey it or not? Come on now. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. You see, these are principles of life that God presented as, well, we call it codification of principle of life. God codified the laws for life. But when God continued to speak there, he went further to say, do not provide number 15, justice. It's in that law. You will never find it again. If any, anywhere in the Bible you talk about perversion of justice, it must be referred to this very scripture. Now, it went further to say, but the judge, no, do not provide justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Not, verse 16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Now, do, do, you, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 17, do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor firmly, frankly, so you will not share in his guilt. Do not, speak, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge. Now all these things are what led to the other laws. Then it began from verse 19 to deflect from, you know, morals, you know, that is a, you know, behavior of man into idol worshiping. It says, keep my decree. Do not meet different kinds of animals. It is a game from Baal. Either was the past to do it till today to invoke demons. Do not plant your field with two kinds of crops. This is a, a, an agricultural principle. That when you plant your field with two types of crops, it affects the minerals of the soil. And that is a law for us. So if people, you know, when people deny that, no wonder most food now are GM products. They have to put fertilizer. The laws of God for the land, if you obey it, it will, it will pre uh, preserve the natural minerals of that soil. In Africa till now, they still do things like that. 
That is, they follow the laws of God in planting. They plant, you know, that's what you call now your um, organic plants. They don't have, they don't use fertilizer. But they have to, if you plant one crop in the, in the land, uh, you have that land produce a lot of harvest. And if you plant two crops in the land, you have conflict. So that is just a law of common sense, I would call it. Okay. Now he went further to say, if a man sleeps with a woman who is a slave girl promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed, verse 20, or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. And that has to do with the, the, the season. Because in this season, slavery is not accepted. Okay? But in those seasons, that is accepted. Now you read it down to verse 25. Now to verse 26. Now if you look at the laws from verse 26, it's directly talking about occultic practices. Do not eat any meat with his blood. Steal it. Is. Do not practice divination. Now this is occultism he's talking about now. Anything you read from this area, they are practices of the idol worshippers. So it says, do not practice divination or sorcery. Do not cut the hair of your side of your beard or clip of your edges of your beard. Side of your head or clip the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for tattoo for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. Do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn into prostitution and be filled with wickedness. And the rest of it. But if we look at from that very verse 26, God began to deal with occultic practices. So, the New Testament does not save anybody from practice occultism. If you look at the whole New Testament, they, when, whenever there is this put in the church and the words of the apostles, they tell them, abstain from occultic practice. The reason is because if anybody practices those things, what happened to him? He will be possessed. Either you are ignorant or you are not. Because they are occultic practices. And because they are occultic practices, that's why God said, you know, do not eat meat, do not practice divination. Because it has to do with divination. And he continued to speak about this cutting of air on the edge of your head. I know the tribe in, in Africa till today who worship Baal. And that's how they do. With the tattoo came from idol worshiping. But if you look at it, it says in verse 31, if you read that down to verse 31, do not turn to a medium or seek a prosperities, for you will be defied by them. I am the Lord your God. Then it says, rise in the presence of the aged. Now it's not talking about moral law as well. When the Bible says rise in the presence of the aged, what the Bible means is that in no way must a younger person be rude to an older person. God does not spare such. A younger person must respect the older person. And you know, in natural life now, that is rewarding. But also in the New Testament, all these laws about idol worshiping and all these laws about respect and honor to those who are in authority, those who are older than you, are say, sustained by the New Testament. But finally, I give you one scripture in the New Testament. Chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Because I'm, I'm answering these questions because you, you know, each one of you can face people outside who will ask you questions like that. 
and you know how to argue uh, or communicate it. It says in chapter 10, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact that, bro- of, of, of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occur as examples, that is what you want to see, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up and indulged in reverie. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and we are killed by a snake. And if you look at the, the Corinthians, was telling us, that a believer, if anybody is born again, you will not have problem with all these things. You wouldn't. Because if you do anything that is contrary, Holy Ghost will convict you. Plus, I told you folks yesterday, in England, we were told by the government, authorities, and we also, I as an employer, I can tell you this. This is the concept of the society. If you see a colored boy or a white boy with funny hairstyle, let's say a white boy with punky type of hair, and a black boy scraped round of his head, it came from the prison. That culture came out from the prison. It is a culture by which some gang members understand themselves. Same thing with tattoo. Same thing with putting on sh- uh, trousers below the you know, uh, bombs, and the trousers is almost falling down. These things came from the prison. Now, how did he get to the prison? Through guns. What is a gun? It's occult. So, a child of God, will you be uh, attracted by something that will derogate you, that will demean you, and ridicule you? And then when the policeman is passing by, they say that, you know, you're a young guy just stole or just robbed somebody, and they begin to talk about him, and the police park they will arrest those who have funny hairstyle first. They have done that again and again. I was in a consumption with the government when we were talking about stop and search. Of every ten stop and search, nine are black boys. In Lucian. We asked, why did you do that? They said, yes, the way they appear. And it's true. So a Christian must not follow any fashion because the Bible says that we should not follow the world. If anything comes out of the world, a Christian should first understand. Ephesians chapter 2 tells you, the ruler of the world is Lucifer. So, you cannot follow Lucifer and expect the power of God. You can't get it. And this is the reason why many believers, children, even adults, who go into such things, they are just nominal Christian for mouth. Holy Spirit, they can't encounter it. Manifestation, they can't encounter it. Talk about vision, they are just dry. Talk about hearing God's voice. They cannot hear. It's because of those things 
as the Bible says, they defile us and we must abstain from them because there are laws that came out to prevent occultic practices. I'm doing my preaching already. Okay. Last question for today. How do you flee evil desires of youth in a pagan society? In today's day and age. Um, could we turn to Psalms 119, verse 9, please? Sure about that. Um, so it says, How can a young man stay on a path that is pure or keep his way pure by living according to your word? Verse 10 says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. So, first of all, I think it begins by just meditating on the word day and night, as you know, Brother Mada has been rightly speaking about, you know, Jesus knew the written word. And so, therefore, he was able to overcome the temptations of Satan. So, here it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you don't hide the word in your heart, then you will live according to how the world will live according to because when the devil comes to tempt you, you don't have the word in your heart to overcome. So I guess living according to the word, but, but first of all, spending time with the word, so making time for the word. And again, there's a scripture that says, um, I'm just paraphrasing here, um, pray and watch so that you don't fall. Um, watch and pray so that you don't fall. So as well as praying and, and you know meditating upon the word, and I think Sister Remy you know addressed this a little bit earlier um, during the first set of questions. You have to watch the environment. You have to watch the people you talk to. You have to watch the things you watch, and you have to watch the things that you hear. So. When, when I heard the question, the first thing that came to my mind is that, and there's sometimes a prayer that I pray as well. Um, I think it's in Revelation, the Bible says, um, blessed are those who wash their robes. Um, even though the Bible says you shouldn't add or take away from the world, when I pray it, I say blessed are those who wash their robes daily. Because um, it's as if, and it's sort of coupled onto what Brother Amadou said, it's an issue of watching yourself every day. So, as in now, okay, we have a new convention, everybody's here, everybody's fired, we, we are, we're going to make Kevin as CFT youth. But then, in November, what, what are you saying? What's your standing? Have you washed your robe, or did you just wash your robe because of youth convention, after youth convention? You believe your robe is washed, but you forget because, you know, there's no more, there's no more momentum. So I think, and a couple of the scriptures already said, um, or I think paraphrase and pray about season so it's an issue of always minding yourself, watching yourself praying without season, washing your robe daily because tomorrow's never promised, you never know what's coming around the corner 
unless the Holy Spirit reveals. So I think that's my piece. First Peter chapter one, eighteen to nineteen. Hebrews four. He said, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver, gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. The nineteen is the one I'm, I want us to report with the precious blood of Christ, as of lamb, without blemish. And without spot. Then uh, Hebrew 4.15. That is living as a Christian in this corrupt world, right? For we have not, for we have, have for we have not uh, an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling or infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. That is where I want us to stem on. Yet without sin. Hebrew 4:15. Then um, First Corinthians, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 2, 5, 5:21. It said, For he had made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Knowing fully well that we are the righteousness of God, that Jesus went through all this to make us live a pure life. We must always fix our thoughts. On that. Then first Peter chapter two, twenty one to twenty two. For even hereunto we uh, were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. I want us to underline that word an example. That ye should follow his steps. Instead of following the steps of this world, we must follow the steps of Christ that he has left behind for us. Who did, who, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So the way we speak, the way we walk, the way we, we must look at the example that Jesus had already given to us. Then lastly, he said, First uh, uh, John chapter 3, 4 to 5. Whoever committed sin trans, transgress, transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that, he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. That is what I want us to depend on. In him is no sin. So if you if you a believer, you will look at Christ, that Christ, in Christ there is no sin. So you must, you will try to work it out, so that in you as well, no sin is found. Amen. I rest my case. The, oh. Yeah, okay. Um, I just wanted to say as a, like a, like everything that's been said is obviously a practical approach, but to, like um, Brother Amadou said, watching what you see on a daily basis, watching what you hear, and just being aware of constantly what's going into your mind, because as the Bible said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think it's more important, it's really, really important to notice what's, what you're looking at on a daily basis. For, for example, if the music that you're listening to is to put it in a weird sort of way, is making you feel some type of way, then you need to be real with yourself and understand you can't listen to this music anymore. Like, it, if you're... <laughs> if, um, if the images that you're looking at are not... If, if you know for a fact that they're wrong and that they're not 
they're not causing any sort of, I don't know, holy jealousy or not cause. If they're, if they're not righteous, then you need to stop looking at them. If the TV shows that you're watching are showing people who are having sex before marriage or people who are masturbating or anything like that, then you know that you need to stop watching them. You need to be really, really aware of what you're putting in your spirit because it's going to have a massive effect on you. It, it's, it's, these are the evil desires. That it, pardon? Exactly, the eyes have no filter. You, you, I, I've, I've been through, I've seen so many things that the way that my mind thinks now is it's uncontrollable. I, I have so many thoughts running through my head at the same time. And I wish that I'd been more careful with the things that I allowed into my head. For, um, another thing is that um, I spoke to uh, another brother in church yesterday about money. It wasn't really a proper conversation about money, but... If you know for a fact that you're getting, like, the way that your head is right now, that your goals is like, money, money, yes, I must get money, I must get money, I need money, 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 I want to build up my kingdom, I want to build my empire, money, money, money. Then you need to, first of all, take a, um, the opportunity to speak to God and say, God, can you change my perception on this? God, can you change the way that I see these things? Because this brother said to me that once you see that money is just an object, that, that's it. That's it. The, as, as Apostle just said, the love of money is the root of all evil. Ask God to change your perception on these things. Ask God to lead you and guide you in your daily life to enable you to identify the things that are, that are not going to enable you to be righteous and are not going to help you to live as Christ did and Lord will help you. I believe very much that God has spoken to every one of you. Now, can I say this? I'm happy that... Um, on the panel, how old are you? I'm 15. How old are you? 22. How old are you? 28, sir. How old, brother? 23. You can see from 15 to 28. And you can see that they are speaking the same thing. What can give a man success and security for future to come to a future where you have no regrets or very little regrets? It is by obeying Jesus Christ. Your mindset is what they have been dealing with. All what they are saying, how can you at your age obey God is mindset. And they've told you practically to be careful what you see, what you hear, the company you follow. You must be proud of Jesus Christ everywhere. Understand. This Jesus you are talking about, all these things you are talking about him, he was a youth, age of 30. And God spoke to me to anoint some of you, and I will do that. Jesus began his ministry at age of 30. Sister Chesom spoke about love of money. How many of you had dreamt that when you are at a particular age, you will have been earning X amount, and you are at a particular age, you are earning X amount? And I will tell you that you are past the age now, you are not earning anything. The reason is because it is God who determines what a man is. And when God sees that your ambition is overriding your interest in him, he will personally frustrate you. God does that a lot. Because it's better for you to serve him poor. It's better for him to wreck you completely so that you come and serve him than for, you, for him to allow you to excel and then lose your soul. And if you want God to bless your efforts, 
serve him completely. Make room for him, not only in your heart, but in your devotion. I read this scripture to you. After I finish now, we'll take the offering, welcome the visitors, take the offering, and we'll close. The book of Romans chapter 8 summarizes all what we're talking about. Verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the flesh, that's the Old Testament. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature. The righteous requirement of God will be met in only people who decide not to live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5 says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. What you do is what you decide to do. Satan doesn't make you do anything. You are the one who sets your mind. Remember, Brother Mada said, when a person is tempted, when he is dragged by his own evil desire. When evil desire is hatched by a man, it becomes your own. No more Satan. Satan suggests to you, when it comes to a decision, he backs up. You are the one who will decide. That's why you are the one who will be guilty of your decision. Satan will not share in it. Bible says, your mindset, but those who live according to the Spirit have their mindset on what is spiritual. That's all. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You know, when they are talking here, they have spoken several instructions to you. If you have somebody who is arguing with it and saying that that is their own stuff, it is because you haven't got saved yet. You are not born again yet. Because the Spirit of God testifies when God is speaking through others. And the Word of God is to rebuke us, to direct us, to instruct us. And if you look at what it says here very, very clearly, if you can set your mind on what the Spirit desires, which is the Word of God, then it will change your reasoning. If you set your eyes to be watching all these uh, Facebook and, you know, promiscuous films, it will waste your life because some of your mates are using that time to read and they are advancing in life. And when you come to the place where you do examination, you see them excel and you are failing, not stuff like that. You must understand, Satan is not here to help anybody. He's here to waste our lives. He's here to steal our joy. He's here to rob us. He's here to wreck us. And it will seem as if we're enjoying ourselves. But rather, we're destroying ourselves. The mind of a sinful man is death, verse 6. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. If you love the world, you cannot please God. 
And if you don't please God, you cannot see God. You will only be having the crumbs that God will give to anybody outside too. And so, you however, he says in verse 9, are not controlled by the sinful nature. That is what all of you should be. You cannot allow yourself to be controlled by the sinful nature. But by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That's why I want to stop. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Every one of you who are young, you are supposed to be prophesying. You are supposed to be seeing visions. I was when I was at your age. From the age of nine, I started working with the Lord. I chose to. And if at nine I could choose to do, like some kids here, that there are kids here of six, seven, eight, who, who also in the same church, hearing what you hear, but in their primary school, they are preaching the gospel. One of them really, the head of the school had to talk to me. I say, please, we were told that this boy, you know, you know, we know that he, he, he is a servant of God. But he shouldn't be laying hands on them in the school. Because the boy was laying hands on anybody, everybody in the school. And he, during the playtime, he would gather them and begin to preach the word of God. And the, the teacher said that this boy does not allow the other children to play. The, the problem is that every child will go to him during the break time and he'll be teaching them the Bible. And the teachers want them to play at the playtime so that they cannot they won't sleep in class. So when they have class in playtime, they are his church. He will be teaching them the word of God. Now, you can choose to serve God from the youngest age. If you can choose to do evil, then you can choose to do good. Every child has the capacity to choose. You see people who are successful among the older youths. Alright? You hear their testimonies. You want to be like them, then serve God the way they have served God. The Lord will help and strengthen you. I want us to bow our heads now. You heard what God spoke through Brother Mother. Some of you, God was touching your hearts while he was speaking. God does not hate anybody. He loves all mankind. He is a father. He wants us to come back to him. He loves us so much. That is the reason why he has not destroyed us. And if you discover that you have wronged God all this time, you have gone astray from God, all this time. You want to be restored back to God. I won't ask you to come forward, but I will ask you where you are to raise your hand up. You want to be restored back to God. Just lift up your right hand where you are. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. Thank you. I can see those hands up. Bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to be restored back to God, just lift up your right hand where you are. I repeat it again. If you have gone astray and you want to join these people who are being restored tonight, I want you to lift up your hands where you are. Thank you as you do that. Now put those hands on your chest. Put them on your chest and say after me, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for me. 
I come back home because I believe in you. I ask you, Jesus, forgive me all my sins. I surrender my mind to you, my soul, my spirit, and my body. Before the end of this week, let me encounter your power. Thank you, Father, for restoring me in Jesus' name. Those of you who raise your hand up, you will meet me tomorrow. Tomorrow is Wednesday. Is that Wednesday? You will meet me tomorrow. When is the end of the program before the evening meeting? The program, when does it end before evening meeting? Six o'clock. So, immediately after I finish your six o'clock meeting, you you meet me before the evening. Let me say that the evening meeting starts at 7.30. So, see me at 7. You know, quarter to 7 is better. So that we can have time together. I will be at the Hall of Mirror. Hall of Mirror, if you go out of this place, you know, as you are going towards the outside, turn left and climb the stairs up. And I, will, I have a little gift to share with you in the Hall of Mirror. But I want to pray for everyone. Let's stand up together. I want to speak a blessing over you. The Bible says, seek the Lord where he can be found. And this is the season that God can be found. Every one of us who have come to this building today came because we have heard of you. And we want to know you better. And so, Lord, I present all these people under my voice, those who are here and those watching me all over the world through the live cast. May the Lord bless you. It is written in the book of Isaiah 14.24. The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I plan it shall be, as I purpose it will stand. I declare that grace from heaven rests upon you. You will fulfill the purpose of God. You will fulfill the plans of God. Resources that you need to fulfill these plans of God, I ask that heaven will release upon you. The Bible says the child grew in stature and in the knowledge of God. As you grow in stature, you will increase in the knowledge of God. The network of Satan and the cobwebs of the evil one, deception of hell, which has been sent all over the whole world, will fail over you. The Lord will grant you the wisdom in inside, that is the wisdom within, to be able to discern every move of Lucifer. As, the, as Lucifer had gone out to harvest men and women for hell. And the angels of God also have been sent out to prepare the heart of men and women for the return of the Lord. May God prevail over your thoughts. May God prevail over your soul. May God prevail over your actions. May God prevail over your attitude. May you receive unction of obedience in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. May your life be pleasing to God. May Satan never make you regret your life. May you never obey the voice of the devil any longer. May the voice of Jesus over, over, oh, you know, uh, uh, override every voice contrary in Jesus' name. May your flesh be submitted to the word of God and to the spirit of God inside you. May you see your days to come and be happy. I pray that the book of Daniel chapter 1 verse 17 
be fulfilled over you all. In Jesus' anointed name, we are praying with thanksgiving. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Come on, say amen. Put your hands together for the Lord. If you are looking for a celebrity, Apostle Williams is your celebrity. Hallelujah. I am your celeb. And people do what their celeb does, okay? I serve God, you serve God. I speak in tongues, you speak in tongues. I cast out devils, you cast out devils. I pray and God heal the sick and you do the same thing. I study and I pass. You two study pass. Hallelujah. Anything you see your apostle do, go for it. I am your celebrity. Is it celebrity or celebrity? Or? Cele, cele. I'm not cele. I am British. Hallelujah. The Lord bless you guys.